Okay, cool, let's do this. So, Joel, why are we chatting here today? Why are we actually putting a podcast together for EYPers? Well, Nathan, as you and me and many of the people that we've been working with throughout our years in EYP are getting old, there will eventually be a point where we're going to drop out of actively doing EYP. And as we are in the slow process of doing that, it's more and more present in my mind that a lot of our experience and what we did is going to be forgotten from the general knowledge of EYPers. Like there will be no way for someone starting EYP today to know what you and me did, the projects we created. Just the way that I don't have a way to find it out about EYPers that came before me. So the podcast is here for those future and current EYPers that want to know about the different kinds of ideas and events that we did and projects that we maybe did differently from others and thought out experience that some of them failed, some of them succeeded, and some of them maybe even ended up changing EYP for good. Yeah, that's true. EYP is very much a a session-to-session kind of organization, right? Um, You would only ever know what happened in a place if you were either there or if you spoke to somebody who was there. And knowledge is always passed from those session to sessions. And it's true, having this kind of outside documentation that anyone can just tune into, listen, understand, oh, how did this come about? Who tried this over here? It's kind of a cool way to spread this knowledge. And for those who are listening, who want to know a bit more about this concept and a bit more about myself, uh, Nathan, and Joel here as well, um, you can take a listen to our episode zero. And within that, we do a deep dive into the concept of why we're doing this podcast in the first place. So for our first episode from Tales from Sessions, we're going to be taking a deep dive into a unique concept that then became LAX 2016. With first-hand information from Nora Willem, head organizer of the event, we will hear about her journey through UIP and what made LAX such a unique and memorable event that the participants have been referring to again and again ever since. So Nora, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, could you. Could you tell us a bit about yourself as an EYPer? What did you do? Who you were? What did you strive for? <laughs> sure. Um, so I started EYP, I believe it was in 2010, so 2010. Um, and I'd been kind of involved growing up in Geneva and, you know, the international uh, scene a little bit and um, and in different simulations of the UN conferences that were happening locally or youth, youth conferences. And then on the 10th year anniversary of uh, Switzerland actually joining the UN, which was uh, shockingly recent for those who, who do not know, I actually met for the first time Swiss-German people my age at the conference, and I was so amazed. And then they were like, yeah, this is nice, but, you know, um, we do this other thing that's so much better. It's called EYP. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? I want to <laughs> I wanna discover it. I want to I wanna know what it's about. And the more they kept telling me about it, the more the more intrigued I was. And so my school had never been involved in EYP up to this point. And so I kind of frantically tried to, you know, convince my friends and convince a teacher. And nobody wanted to come with me, really, because I I didn't even know what I was selling them, right? I was like, they said it was nice and it sounds good. We should go. Um, And it was quite quite a fight, quite a process until then the, um, the headmaster actually uh, I found out in hindsight, kind of forced one teacher to come with us to this national selection conference, which was happening in Ticino that year, um, the Italian-speaking part of Switzerland. So we went, and I don't know, right since the right off the bat, I really felt in my element in a way. Like I just felt so, you know, amazed that there were other people who cared. Like for me, that was the biggest thing. Like these seem to be other people that care, that are energized about these topics, that are eager to learn. Uh, to try things out and and to make a change, like I, I think I was just an idealist and a, you know, a bit of a, a visionary or somebody who's just driven to make a contribution ever since I was uh, really young. 
so that was amazing and I had lots of fun and um, and we were actually selected to represent Switzerland at the international session in um, Istanbul it was yeah and that was just absolutely fantastic and I think given this this amazing experience that I had and how lucky I felt it was just so clear that this is something I wanted to contribute to and to give back to and so then from helping out at the national conference the following year uh, organizing a small regional session in Geneva kind of pitching EYP in my in my school and really uh, making sure that there would be a delegation the following year and the year after that and then this somehow like one thing led to another and I found myself first on the board of EYP Switzerland kind of I was just cornered at the social event by the by the board like saying hey you should join and then all of a sudden I found myself president out of out of nowhere um, and I think what what drove me was just yeah the sense that there was so much potential there like there was so much possible uh, so much of course had already been done right but I always also had an eye for the things we could maybe challenge or improve or do different and then when we finally put in the bid and got to do LAX, the 83rd international session, this was really the opportunity to push the boundaries a little bit of, of what we thought EYP was maybe supposed to be about, what it was supposed to contain, what it was not supposed to contain. Um, and I think that's probably the, the biggest thing I did in EYP in a sense, right? So for sure, helping evolve the, the EYP, um, EYP Switzerland chapter in a way, but I guess LAX was a bit of the landmark in my in my EYP time. But otherwise, I did a bit of everything. Like, I was a terrible, absolutely horrifying editor um, in Oulu, <laughs> in Finland. <laughs> I think if anybody digs out those things, <laughs> if I'm ever in any position to lay out anything ever again, I don't know how this would happen. Like, it, it was... Um, anyway, it was what it was. We had lots of fun. We did our... Um, we did our job in a way, but compared to the amazing things I see people put out now from EYP Media, oh my goodness. So yeah, I presided sessions and fora here and there. Um, yeah. Yeah, you ended up doing quite a lot. I encountered you on my own EYP journey quite a few times. We were at the Danish Nationals, you were the head of jury, and then I saw you presiding an international forum in Greece when it's like yes I need to I need to go there <laughs> and uh, I don't know to the listeners that don't have never met Nora personally um, my impression of her is definitely one of the brightest EY peers and the most inspiring EY peers in a way that I ever met on my journey I have very Aww. pleasant memories from just walking after sunset at the in the Danish where <laughs> where we were outside the city trying to reach our accommodation and I don't even remember what the topic of conversation we had was but I just remember being so you know in it in a way that made me more excited about the world mm. and then also seeing your work in um, when you were the head of jury and it was the first Danish nationals uh, that they ever organized so they had this small little problem of um, they didn't have Danish delegates <laughs> what? yeah yep. oh my goodness let's back up here you're team. saying they had a Danish national session and they didn't have Danish delegates what? Yeah, what, what, what's I was that chairing about? that session and my committee didn't have a single Danish delegate. And the, I could just imagine arriving to a session like that as a head of jury and they'd be like, well, what, what is my role here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> when, when was this? Where was this? Like, how did I not know that this happened? 2016? 2017? Yes, Early it was 2017. Uh, 2017, I think. It was the first, first NSC, and I don't know, something just went wrong in the communication process, and something between the board and the head organizers. I don't even remember what it was, but we didn't even know, right? So I show up, I think we had like six jurors. Harris was there as well. Like there was a, a bunch of people. Uh, just recently, somebody posted on Facebook the memory. Honeycutt posted it. <laughs> and, and we were like six jurors or something. And there was, I think, one or two delegates. Um, or there were three and one just canceled and there were two left. Something like this, yeah. And we literally were sitting there like, 
oh, what are we going to do? Like, this is no way to, you know, I mean, even just for the future of the NC, like the session was pretty fun. There was, I think, delegates from Italy and France and, right, they had a bunch of international delegations, but no Danish people. And so as we kind of sat there <laughs> with this amazing, you know, this amazing jury, I'll, I'll pull up the picture later, like, uh, we, we just sat there, we're like, what are we going to do? Like, you know, shall we, shall we go home? Like, is this something, should we be angry? Like, what, what is this? And then we, we did, I think, I don't even know how we came up with the idea. But basically we were like, well, I think we still had a day left until the session started or even two or something. And we were like, you know what? Let's go into town, recruit delegates. <laughs> and, so, and so basically <laughs> the jury, the jury goes wild. So, so we just went with this, with these amazing people into town and we, <laughs> so I hope there's a video of this somewhere. We actually had like a little flash mob. So, so basically we had like a little choreography, a little, a little dance, a little song. I don't remember what, what music it was to. But we made up these lyrics and we were singing, they should join the session, something, something. And apparently we did that so good. I think we quadrupled or tripled the amount of Danish delegates that came. Like actually people did end up signing up and joining the session because of this. And best of all, we ended up on national TV or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I, was, I was joking. This is probably the... The most useful and resourceful jury there has ever been in any content, with very unorthodox methods, granted, um, but successful given the dire circumstances. <laughs> yeah, and as a little bit of context for the listeners, Odense, despite being third largest city of Denmark, only has about hundred eighty thousand of a population, and that even that is scattered a bit <laughs> so it's a, it's a small city small town to try try and fish population into joining a session oh wow that was a that was a blast yeah look i even have it here it was with stella benfato joshua giovanni onikat baluzzi kate zelvlova harris of course i mentioned already and jelle de Ruiter. This international, you know, super qualified jury team, three times as big as the delegate pool. <laughs> <laughs> At least those delegates can get a lot of attention, you know, because we, we we all say that sometimes the jury only sees them for a glimpse of what they do. In this case, you had two oh. <laughs> jury members per delegate, so they could walk around the whole session and take turns taking a look at them. And nice, absolutely. You know the announcement at the end, so. The results of the selections are you're selected and you're selected and you're also selected. That's it. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and the amazing part didn't stop there. You didn't only quadruple the amount of Danish delegates we had, but you also I remember hearing about it. You sent or at least offered feedback to every single delegate in the session, even the international ones. Oh, true. Sometimes I don't remember the, the great things, <laughs> the great things done in the past. And then I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's true. We did do that. Yeah. Because we had so much time. <laughs> we had so much time and so little to do, I think. Yeah, we were, we were really, I don't know. This was, I think it was just such a great group of people. And we were just really committed to doing the best with, you know, what was. <laughs> I think that's a really good, like, skill to have in general, right? Like, to not complain or be stuck in what you wish was the case and you know if we should have done this we should have done that next time we will that's all great and important um, but once you're there i think being able to just do the best with what you have uh, and try to contribute yeah true we did we did uh, have individual feedback for everybody well who knows i hope they enjoyed it i hope it was helpful <laughs> i think reacting to those kind of situations in such a way is something that really builds onto you as you do a lot of EYP because you end up in so many of these weird solutions situations sure. of I, I have no clue what to do here and at that point <laughs> you've been in that situation so many times that 
the only thing you can do is laugh at it <laughs> because like there's no point in getting angry about it like you you know you what you kind of signed up for you, you I, you're like well i i know um well we we don't have delegates but at least i'm not illegal in the country you know things could be worse let's just, <laughs> let's just make the best of it that's true yeah, that's true. Uh, happened to, to me twice personally really <laughs> yeah. that you were illegal in the country oh. yeah for a DYP session how, how, I feel like there's a story that needs to be told that where were you illegal oh sorry of, of course Joel was never illegal in any country anyone listening <laughs> to this okay where were you allegedly <laughs> illegal in different sessions Joe? in this hypothetical scenario Exactly. Like hypothetical EYP universe. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't anything serious. It was mostly uh, just me not either either me not filling out the registration forms of I'm gonna be in the country for this allowed period plus some, uh, or the organizers promising to do that and they were doing it. Uh, first time happened. I believe the first time happened in Azerbaijan. Oui. And. You know, n nothing too special. I just, uh, <laughs> I just did didn't know that I needed to fill out the form for staying over, was it five days, and then freaked out a bit over it and pulled pulled some string with strings with the locals and they got me a paper saying that I have registered, allegedly. Um, the other time was a bit more dangerous because this was um. Belarus and no some of you might have heard stories from uh, how except DYP is in Belarus and they have by now gained a legal recognition for their organization which is great but at that time it was a bit more uh, a bit more stressful when it, there was a situation I was like I was head of jury at the session and then we're kind of we know that we need to register and we're talking to the organizers about it, like, um, to make sure that it's actually happening. Um, <laughs> and the organizers tell us, yeah, yeah, it's going to be fine. We'll deal with it. We'll deal with it. And then second day of committee, I don't remember if it was the first or second day of committee work, the organizers are like, we have a big problem. <laughs> All of you are legally in the country. Oh, and no. I was just there like, I had, I had, um, I had one Ukrainian juror in my team, which was good because the she was the only juror that was um, actually viewing the committee work that day. Because me and my the rest of my team were stuck in a registration office after closing hours, while the president of ANSI negotiated uh, to have smaller fines for us. <laughs> <laughs> which the NC oh, wow. of, of course offered to pay and they, and they didn't offer they they did pay it they didn't give us an option but that, that's a it's a fun souvenir from EYP to have this paper saying uh, <laughs> you have paid the fight for being illegal in Belarus beautiful oh well I think the first session I was ever an official at I, I think was a I was a journalist in um in Kosovo at their national session, um, I think it was, yeah, probably 2012, I guess 2012, sometime after after my IS. And another uh, girl came from Switzerland who was actually vice presiding and she got on the plane somehow, uh, only with her ID, only to arrive in Kosovo to realize she needed her passport. So they made her fly back and take the next, <laughs> take the next plane to come back. Yeah. The things that happen when we bank on Schengen, right? Exactly. I find we, we do this a lot because we're so used to going to places either without potentially like passport, like you said, their ID card, or if not, 
I know for me, I just take my passport and I know most places I don't need a visa for and I just turn up and think, oh, this is fine. So this actually did happen to me um, a few years ago where uh, I was going to fly out to the States and then I realized I didn't get my visa and I had a big issue at the airport. A few months later, I had to go see my family in Australia. I did the same thing. I went to the airport without a visa. They said, you can't fly. I then had to do my online application and I got it through a few minutes before the gate closed and told myself never again would I make that mistake a few months later when I then actually met Joel for the first time it was for a session in Azerbaijan in Baku where the president's um, passport was eaten by his dog like you everyone used that as an excuse for him it actually happened his passport was eaten by his dog and because of that he couldn't go and I then had to step in as the president for that session. I was just going to arrive as a trainer. So I thought, okay, let's head over a few days before the session to make sure I can like, have a little bit of a holiday, chill a bit there as well. I flew into Ukraine, chilled there for a bit. I then went to fly over to Baku and they wouldn't let me on the plane. I said, why not? They said, where's your visa? I said, what visa? I don't need a visa. <laughs> Come on, I got my passport. It should be fine. <laughs> and where they stopped me was, you know, on that little tunnel as you're getting into the plane. Um, I was walking down that tunnel to get onto the plane and then the guy kind of grabbed my shoulder, turned me around and said, where's your visa? And uh, no, yeah, all the negotiation stuff, they said, nope, you're not allowed. And uh, Azerbaijani visa takes quite a lot of time to process. So um, yeah, some. I had to then go online, pay an external service to somehow prioritize my visa, get that fast press through. As soon as I got that, I could then book the right flights to then come over at a certain time. And it was just a mess. And that was three times in six months where I turned up at the airport, went to fly out somewhere and realized, oh no, I didn't think about do I need a visa to go here. But yeah, um, what I was behind with all, all that is like you, you when you do enough EYPU and encounter these situations um, and you know, at some point you just start laughing at all the problems that you encounter and be, being in a tough situation with these people is the best, <laughs> best place you can be because you know everyone's there being like, well, how can we solve this? And no one's crying, no one's being upset about it. And it's all fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I feel like standards have increased over time, no? Like, I, I remember sessions where we slept on the floor, in gyms, <laughs> in bunkers, like all sorts of things. Um, and I feel like, from what I'm observing, it's become rarer and rarer. Like, like the budgets are higher, the levels of comforts are, are better, which is great, you know? Nothing, nothing against that. Um, and yeah, I remember so many situations where we just had to to make do with with whatever it is we had, right? and crisis management. Like when actually stuff happens and 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 something really goes wrong. Like being able to keep calm, you know, stay focused, and just pull through. Like I think it was actually the first evening. Like literally, delegate arrivals in Lax, um, that somebody broke their leg. Like literally, like the kind of thing that you think, yeah, that happens in theory, right? On your spreadsheet, you have the, the scenario, um, you know, leg breaks type of thing. But it actually, um, yeah, it actually happened. And then to be able to be like, okay, this is, this is what's going on. Where do we get, you know, the, the ambulance, the bills, the insurance, the everything and crisis managing while still you have 300 people that you know are having a good time and you need to kind of yeah, hold their energy as well so Damn. you never know what's gonna happen so nora since you bring up the topic of lax um i know joel knows quite a bit about the session had a few discussions about that but myself i heard a couple of bits here or there or saw a few different posts on facebook here or there about some kind of international session that was trying something a bit different um but since we have you here today i guess we'd love to hear a lot more about it could you tell us a little bit about the if you would describe lax in a couple of sentences for the listeners what would it be and then how did it start 
in a couple of sentences, um, our theme was young and innovative ideas for a sustainable future. Um, so I would say one thing that was that was definitely unique or that we put special emphasis on was this, um, of course, the dimension of sustainability and the dimension of me in connection to that topic. So actually, what can I implement in my life, right? And seeing ourselves not just as people who go somewhere to debate certain things and have fun, um, but actually as an agent of change, right? I see myself as a change maker, as an agent of transformation. Um, and, and what can I do? What can I possibly do after that? So that's why we had a, like a special element and thread in Lux where we encourage people to think of, you know, maybe project ideas, things they could do in their context. And then we're actually able to fund a number of these kind of follow-up projects afterwards. I, I don't know if other sessions did that since, this kind of financing something after the fact as well. But I think that was definitely like, yeah, this emphasis on what can I do? And what's my contribution here? Nice. And how it started. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like, I feel like my craziest and probably best ideas typically come to me in some kind of crazy download. No? Like, I'm trying to take a nap or I'm like having a coffee. I'm supposed to study for something uh, at the time I was. And all of a sudden it's like, like it just hits me. And, and I literally like I'm electrified and I cannot just you know let it go like i'm unable to let it go and and the idea of lax was definitely like this I, the context was that i was studying in um in a university in german speaking part of switzerland where i had to take business classes and, uh, and i was bored out of my mind and but one class was about um market segment analysis or some some stuff um that goes in this direction and we analyzed actually the um, uh, uh the rider's palace which is the hotel where Lux was then taking place, right? So we studied this this hotel called the Riders Palace um, and kind of what is its marketing strategy, you know, what's the target audience? And, and basically the exercise was that we found it was, you know, young, dynamic people, upper middle class perhaps, um, who were there to have fun and to meet other people and basically snowboard and so on. And I was just sitting there. I had been involved in the international session in Zurich a couple of years prior. And we had been in the in the youth hostel, right? And this was very typical at the time. Like if you do a session, you will look for the cheapest possible accommodation typically, right? And that's just what you book. And I was thinking, well, like from a marketing point of view, right? <laughs> typical first first semester, you know, student like, oh, well, I just learned everything about marketing. So why don't I, like, wouldn't it be super interesting to actually pitch to this hotel, hey, I can bring 300 people from this target audience to you, like on a silver platter, right? Like, that's interesting for them. And it's a huge, you know, volume of income that they get all at once. It's a huge publicity. I will bring, you know, the president of the country, maybe I'm pokering, I don't know yet if he will show up. I will bring, you know, an EU commissioner or whatever, like, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be here. It's going to be great for you wouldn't this be something that's interesting, that's attractive for them, and that maybe they're interested in making a deal? That was just my <laughs> Eureka moment, right? It doesn't seem so impressing now, but uh, like at the time it was like, wow, this is revolutionary. And then I just, um, uh, I just basically, yeah, I thought about it for a while, and and then I just reached out to them, and I kind of, you know, made a first contact, and was kind of, you know, hey, you know, would this be in theory, maybe perhaps something that one day you may consider. And it turns out they were super interested. And and then we started talking about this. We started uh, negotiating a bit. Of course, in hindsight, I had no idea how to negotiate such a deal, right? Like super naively kind of <laughs> getting into that. Um, but still, it kind of then went up to the point uh, where I was like, okay, I really think this can be a thing. Like, we could really have a session there. And I just thought that it would be so beautiful, you know. I mean, Switzerland, sure, our cities are nice, but nothing compared to our mountains, right? So wouldn't it be amazing to have a session that's actually up there and in nature, right? So about nature, but in nature, not just in some closed closed rooms where we barely see the light of day. And there was a lot of resistance, like, everywhere. I mean, even the NC, right? So I was also president of the of UIP Switzerland, so that was maybe also not an ideal situation. But basically, everyone was kind of thinking, this is insane. Like, 
this is impossible, it's not going to happen. Uh, because, of course, the budget was a bit higher, like we needed more cash kind of upfront, right? And we also had certain constraints, like there are not that many venues for that many people high up in the mountains, right? And everyone was kind of, yeah, just seeing all the things that cannot, you know, cannot possibly work, all the obstacles, which I'm also thankful for. I think it's also important to have those voices. I tend to be a bit like, yay, <laughs> biggest vision, and then, you know, we'll see how to work it out. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it was enough to, to hand in a bid. And the bid was actually, um, I don't, I don't remember if it was that they, they didn't have, I knew that they didn't have a bid. So I actually, yes, that's how it went. I knew that they didn't have a bid and I was like, okay, should we hand this in? Should we not? And for the longest time I was really hesitant and I made actually a plus and contra list for myself. You know, it's like, okay, it's two years plus of my time. I have no idea where I'll be in two years. Like, does this make sense? Like, what will I do financially? And everybody's like saying it's not realistic. Okay, clearly my contra column was majorly <laughs> outweighing the pro column. And I was like, okay, I'm letting it go. If it's not going to happen, I'm letting it go. And then I think I just could not sleep for like three days or something until I was like, fuck it. <laughs> I cannot let this go. I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just gonna send this in. And I did. Um, and I actually have these, um, these, I have this memory now of like, <laughs> it's, it's gonna be super ridiculous, but I'm gonna own up to this moment. Sitting kind of in my bed or at my desk or something and recording a video for Bill Gates. <laughs> kind of, I was like, you know, I'm gonna make a video to, to get to the most powerful people and tell them why this is needed and why they need to be involved or something. I don't know. I was just overflowing with this energy of like, we need to do this. We need to get out there, you know? Oh my goodness. I don't know if I ever find this video. It would probably be to die for, like, so hilarious. Anyway, it never went anywhere, the video, but just so you get a sense of how motivated I was. And, um, the bid was actually rejected. So I put in the bid and they're like, that's not realistic. There's never been an international session with a budget this high, whatever, whatever. Um, Zurich didn't manage to fundraise almost anything from foundations. We don't think this is realistic. Like, come back to us if you have another proposal, basically. And then I was like, shit. <laughs> okay, so that's a sign from the universe. Like, it, it shouldn't happen, right? Like, okay, clearly, if they reject it, then that means it's, it's not going to happen. But um, it was underestimating my stubbornness. <laughs> and I guess for, for the better, you know, at the end of the day. But still, like, um, I went back to, the, to my partners with whom I had negotiated deal. And I was like, we need to talk about this again. You know, we can make it happen, but we need to get lower prices and so on. And they did actually lower the prices a bit. And so to just give you a, an idea of what the negotiation was, at the end, we paid... Uh, 25 francs a night per person in this super nice, you know, resort. Of course, granted, some delegates were like sleeping in not so nice, you know, bunk beds, like typical EYP kind of thing. But also we were paying 25 for the really fancy rooms that the chairs have, for example. Right? Um, compared to uh, 45, 50, 60 in the youth hostel downtown in Zurich. So wow. it was like way lower than than even the youth hostel uh, starting price so anyway we you know we tweaked the prices a bit went back and also i knew that there was no other bids so i kind of felt like a responsibility at this point to <laughs> to the network i guess also to some extent or maybe that's just an excuse i was using to do whatever i wanted and i thought needed to be done <laughs> i don't know uh, but in any case i put it back in and then it was approved and we went ahead and and i recruited um uh, a core team, I think we were eight people, and it was just this beautiful, like, really participatory process since the beginning, you know? I mean, from the moment that I had the green light, or not the green light, I had the okay from the GB to, to do it, I was like, what did I get myself into? I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I never managed a project this big. I never fundraised this much money. I never led a team for this long. You know, like I did none of the things. Like I had none of the qualifications, <laughs> you know, that, that I would think I should have to do something like this. So I bought myself like 150 team leadership books or something. <laughs> Some of which I still have here, you know, like 
the classics and I just learned so much about like, yeah, everything like project management, how do you structure a team, fundraising, all the things. Um, and, and somehow it was just, yeah, a really participatory process since the beginning. Like I remember the first, the first meetings uh, that we had with the core team, like were in lax and, you know, they gave us like these little rubber bands and we had like, uh, I don't think we had the cups, but it was just like very like welcomed kind of into that world. And we talked about, you know, okay, what's our vision and what's really the value be behind what we want to do and what do we want to do different? And every person that joined the organizing team really kind of was able to leave their mark, you know, to really take on a, a specific part of the project or to, yeah, to really co-create. I think that's something that really transpired in the quality of the session, that you could just tell that, uh, that it was co-owned, you know. I was never, like you hear head organizers complain that they're the ones doing everything and the organizing teams basically just come in to do the coffee breaks or something. Like this was absolutely not the case in Lux. They were phenomenal, like so great people. And we had basically the structure of, um, I don't know if that's a standard thing by now at the time, it wasn't like to have um, uh, head organizers for the specific parts. So, I, you know, somebody was head organizing the Euro concert and somebody else was head organizing the Swiss cultural day and whatnot. So they really had also this freedom, you know, to find partners and find the right venue and, and do it really in their way. Yeah, I think that was something quite special. And we also had at the session like a, a rotating teams. So we also had like four teams. I don't remember what they're called. Probably like cow and cheese and chocolate or something like this. And um, the more menial tasks, like we, we rotated, right? So everyone uh, was doing the coffee break at some point or was packing up whatever the materials. Uh, this was kind of rotating. So we had the domains, we had the rotational teams, and we had um, the sub-organizing teams in a way that we had organizers for the events. I think that was pretty cool thinking back to it. Yeah, and it showed. I I was personally not at the session, but if I had to tally up the number of times I've heard a name of a session, locks would be easily on the top. Like no other session comes even close to what the people in my generation were talking about, and still are to this day. Like <laughs> the experiences that people have and the amount of times that I get uh, that I hear that people are still in contact with their committee it's still on like Lux is up there oh really <laughs> wow oh that's amazing yeah it was it was so funny to you know for me I mean it's like it just absorbed my entire life focus at some point right especially in the in the months leading up to the to the session like yeah it it, it kind of was everything I think I even missed the deadline for my bachelor thesis you know like all sorts of stuff like I was just so committed and and even in the I think in the in the last few weeks before the session I just went kind of completely crazy on still getting in-kind fundraising and I got these booklets and the Neumark you know markers and whatnot like I, I don't know I was on fire <laughs> and um and and yeah this just this amazing team that was so so motivated I, oh, I think one thing that we did that was super cool also was trick um I think we called it it was a training for responsible young citizenship basically what then now is standard to do like a chairs training before an is a media you know training and ideally you have them together because that increases the bonding right so so i think that was a pretty a pretty pretty cool thing that we said well sure the chairs need to come together and be prepared but so do the other teams right i think that was the first point like we really want a strong cohesive energy amongst the different teams which of course everyone aspires to but you need to invest in that right and so we prepared this whole thing there's so funny pictures on, <laughs> on on facebook like we prepared this entire arrival everybody had these t-shirts maybe you've seen the picture where we stand like a fish from above in the colors anyway i, I can send it to you and um, and we prepared this arrival and we had like a harry potter themed type of theater play that was welcoming the people and it was a whole thing we were in a castle in the middle of the woods in Basel that was just amazing I think in terms of how fun it was probably for me personally trick like this event before was even more fun than the actual session 
just because like it was so free you know like we were yeah we just were amongst ourselves having the time of our lives for like three or four days in this random castle <laughs> it was it was amazing it was hilarious so so funny and and i think a deep bonding experience and here's a little hack for those who are organizing a session you can fundraise for that so so basically what we did is that we sold this as a specific project to foundations right we told them we bring together very smart people from all over europe to train in active citizenship so they paid for for this to happen yeah. so yeah so that's also something i also learned there like to again like right in the things you want to do identify what would be attractive and what you're doing anyway how can you frame it for a funder or or somebody to um to kind of take it on here comes in nora's marketing degree <laughs> <laughs> right? somebody should give me an honorary phd in in marketing or something <laughs> exactly so if, if i would kind of recap where luck started was sat in a marketing lecture and trying to see what is the best way to kind of pitch this kind of eyp thing today even wrapping up at the end the best bit of advice is to understand how to market eyp definitely it's a huge thing and in general right I, mm. this is something that i see is like a, a life skill that we learn in eyp but it's so useful in any place anywhere right like to be able to to know so clearly what it is that you stand for who you are or what you want to do and also to be able to understand the other person enough in their needs in their perspective in their language what they're looking for that you're able to make that bridge that translation and this mm -hmm. is how i think our generation we don't need to follow you know old-fashioned career lines that kind of supposedly are like a straight arrow you know up some kind of ladder or anything like we create our own jobs you know we create our own paths and projects and new career fields that didn't exist before and so on and so forth i think that's definitely it's taught me so much um, but the other thing i think that made it in a way special i again something i had forgotten about but um i was interviewed um a while back by a, by a media team, by somebody who was editing a session and, and he had been on the media team of Lux. And he reminded me, he said that when they arrived, on the day that they arrived, I gave every single official a little card that I had made with like a, a quote, a picture with a quote on one side, an inspiring quote, and a personal welcome message on the other side. And And he just said that he never felt this kind of welcomed and loved and seen at the session you know just how appreciated it was. i didn't even remember that i did this you know um but yeah so i think that's something that he really highlighted to me that just there was this general sense of care like in the organizing team you know maybe then from me in that case to the officials but also from the entire organizing team to the officials the officials amongst each other you know also franzi who was the president francisca like how she is, like also a very caring person. Just kind of, you know, this energy and then that extending from the officials to the uh, to the delegates, I think was probably another, yeah, another element that that made it something powerful, like something to remember, just to feel safe and seen and welcome. I think that's easy to forget in a way when you're an official that you are in a way there to make sure that your delegates are or whoever you're there to care for whether it is your media team or the chairs or the organizers caring for the other officials you are there also to be cared for to yourself like it, it's important to take take that into account when you're planning the atmosphere especially from a leadership but also to remember as a official yourself mm -hmm. yeah for sure and I, and i think this it's it's kind of connected right this is also something i observe in my work today that when people really feel heard and seen they it, it also like unleashes their uh, creative potential and like that they feel safe to try things out and to take responsibility and this is i think the difference right in a traditional management if you delegate top down and tell people what to do and how to do it and you micromanage them and so on they will never be 
creative. They will never be energized and activated for something, right? And I think the way we worked in the Orga team and then also how we interacted amongst the officials, I've never or I've rarely seen, like, for example, a media team under the leadership of Karin Lies and, and Walter. Like, they were so creative, you know, and they did this, they did this, like, social experiment where they were littering like they were just throwing, you know, trash on the floor and they were filming the reaction of the delegates. And then they had a dialogue about like who reacted and why and what was appropriate, you know, stuff like that. Like, I don't know, they were just so, yeah, so like into having like side projects and, and own little little initiatives. And we we had like, a, <laughs> this is also funny, we had a, a fair fashion, fair and sustainable fashion show. You can see, you can find online a picture of Bram and Hugo in a, African print pants. <laughs> Basically, I had made a, a partnership with like a yeah designer of sustainable and fair fashion, um, who gifted these pieces. Basically, and then we we made like this uh, this little fashion show to yeah raise awareness and talk about the fact that where our clothes come from also matters, right? And people may suffer and the environment may suffer depending on what we're buying. But we did it in such a fun and engaging way. You know, just this is just one example. But it was tons of these like little little projects and just people showing what they stand for. Also, the, um, uh, we, we did this fair, I think we called it the Ideas and Opportunities Fair or something, because one thing that I was always a bit critical about in EYP was that it's like a bubble, right? Like you, you go somewhere and you may be in Tbilisi, you may be in, um, right, in uh, Lisbon, and you never meet any local people <laughs> you never get connected to the local culture in any way and it and it's like an abstract theoretical debate that is not connected to reality and so kind of going back to the sense of like okay but what can i do where can i get involved what can i contribute uh, we invited local ngos to have we had like a fair and um and you know there were different projects present and there was like an alliance of you know, LGBTQIA people, and um, there was an NGO that works more on the environment, other that work more on development, um, sustainable food, like there was all sorts of stuff. Again, somebody else was the head organizer in a way of this, so uh, Laura could be able to to tell you much better and much more in detail, but just these things like like show who you are, right? Show up with what you have and, and see where you can bring that in and what you can do with it um, if you work with others. This partnership we had with a Swiss NGO called Euphoria, uh, where they they basically animated like a special event um, for for delegates to reflect more on themselves, and then for those who were interested, there was even a special evening where they could go to develop like you know what's my purpose, what's my contribution, and what's a project that could come from that. So yeah, that that was I think pretty cool. And to to translate these things into yeah into action and into concrete changes in people's lives. Oh, listening to this, it's <laughs> easy to see why it's <laughs> it's been talked about so much. But it also became a meme. Like it was so funny. Like I'm not anymore following you know the sessions page and so on. But every now and then I see like some poses as like another session and then it says i will tell my kids this was locks you know <laughs> and it's another session or like yeah just memes made made with um um made with with locks it's it's really funny it's really taken on a life of its own <laughs> um and i still receive messages that are super super touching like of people who were there who say you know just how this completely changed their life um how inspired they were um, but sometimes also people who were not there and who say, hey, I started EYP, you know, years later, but this has been with me ever since and and feel a connection somehow. It's 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 funny. It's strange. But also many lies were perpetuated <laughs> like a, <laughs> like there was this meme page at some point, like an EYP meme page. And they were like, um, they made a meme about lack saying that we were loaded and stacked with money or something, something. I don't know if you've seen that. And it was so funny because during the session, we thought we were broke. Like we thought, I think it was, so this is a, yeah, this is an inside story, but um, about two weeks before the session, I went uh, to Lux to do like the final negotiation with the partners, kind of close the deal, you know, make sure everything's set up. 
And basically, this is a big mistake also for all the rookie negotiators out there. Take notes on this. <laughs> basically, we had done like a first contract with them. And then we had said we will you know, specify the contract as we further go along type of thing. And this was negotiated with a relatively high level of hierarchy in their organization. And then fairly quickly, this person delegated the contact of working with me and with the organizers to a person lower on the hierarchy. And we worked with this person. We made a whole lot of agreements, you know, can we use this room? Can we use that room? Yes. And this is possible and all sorts of arrangements. And then we never did that second contract. Like we never did that formal, you know, we thought if she says it's fine, it's fine. Um, but mm -hmm. we never actually did that formal contract. And then I show up two weeks before. And then there's not only the, the guy I had negotiated with, but his boss. So the boss boss. And basically they look at me and they're like, no, that's not going to happen. No, this is not part of the agreement. This is too cheap. We cannot do this for these prices. Holy shit. <laughs> And I mean, like, I was like, you do not understand. Like, this is happening in two weeks. Like, there is no way that, you know, like, and, and I honestly, I don't even remember, like, the exact, um, you know, moments and reaction. I just remember going back to, like, keeping it together and being like, you know, we need to negotiate, like, you know, we cannot pay more, da, 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 and kind of keeping holding my ground in a way and going back to my hotel room and just crying, like properly weeping because I thought that's it. Like it's over, like it's dead. It's not going to happen. And I cannot tell anyone, like I didn't even tell my team. I didn't tell the organizers because I knew everybody was so busy, you know, still preparing things. And I was like, this is on me. Like <laughs> I I cannot burden them with this. They cannot even help, right? Why burden them if if at this stage there is nothing that can be done? And I just went back the next day and I was like, I don't even know. I I cannot even, you know, brag about what I did because I don't remember what I did, but somehow made it through that conversation with minimal damage, like the prices were not crazily increased. The session would didn't have to be canceled. <laughs> we could get most of the things that we really wanted. I even negotiated a, that we would have an official party in the spa for 500 francs, which was one of the most epic things that happened in that session. Um, but yeah, but that moment, you know, just the, the reality of feeling like this could all go so terribly wrong in that moment and just the vulnerability of that. And we found at the same, around the same time, um, a mistake in the budget. I absolutely hate budgeting. Like, if I can delegate budgeting to someone who's competent, thank God, thank goodness, thank goddess, because I am not one to enjoy budgeting. And we had this Excel sheet, you know, the classical thing. You just always work with this Excel sheet for two entire years. You work with this Excel sheet and two weeks before the session, you realize that one number was not in the formula. You know, like one addition was just not included in the formula. I don't remember, transport cost or something. And and just bam, 50k budget hole in our in our you know in our estimates. So I think we had I don't I don't remember it was like 200. We had I think a 200k budget and we went up to 250k like this you know or 250 to 300. I don't remember. So you have to imagine that like our emotional reality at the session was we got to save money. Right. Like we got to make this as cheap as possible, you know, like let's save money on the coffee breaks if we can. And, you know, of course, the venues were amazing because we had negotiated a good deal. You know, all of that was still true, though they screwed us over a little bit over the food. I was not satisfied with that. But anyway, <laughs> um, so I understand why people would have the impression that we were so loaded, you know, but our like at least my emotional experience and my reality was that I thought we were broke and I thought I was just going to get through this session as best as we possibly can. And then at the end, be creative about <laughs> trying to find a solution on how we would, you know, fill the gap. Turns out we were even worse than we thought at budgeting because at the end we had a 40k surplus. So yeah, that's um, a testimony to, to my and <laughs> Ricardo's budgeting skills who were in charge of this. But anyway, so, so it was really funny to, you know, at the end of the day, 
frustrating experience. Roller coaster would have been unnecessary had we had better financial planning. Um, but great that, that then we could finance all of these projects. You know, I think the four or five ISs after us had like a sustainability program. Um, thanks to Lux, you know, the money that was given there and the international office had like a special sustainability fund and we funded a bunch of session and other projects uh, all across Europe. So that was cool. Um, so it's amazing. I'm not complaining, but, <laughs> but it was funny to then see these memes, you know, of like Lux so loaded and so on. I was like, we thought we were broke. <laughs> so yeah, appearances, right? Yeah, for a good time after Lux, they were like <laughs> attending sessions. It was pretty, pretty, pretty sure that you you go to the session and at the end you look at the resolution book and say, ah, funded by Lux. Pretty good chance that every single session you went to have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that was that was pretty unique, and I love it. You know, I think it's 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 so good. Like if we can. Usually we cannot because we don't have that much finances and so on. But if we all, just as a food for thought, you know, I think I even pitched this to the IO at the time. What if we all aimed to fundraise just 5% more, right? And we all put this in our budgets that we have a development fund. That's it. Like we have a development fund. It's super normal, actually, now that I do this professionally, right? Like you always, you always have overhead and, you know certain costs like R&D that you just put in the budgets. And if we just all did that, uh, and in Switzerland we could do that, for example, being a country that you know has a high purchasing power and more privilege when it comes to foundations and so on, then we could give that money, for example, to a central fund if the IO would administrate it or whatever, and international office for those who are not uh, with the abbreviations. And then that could be you know cross-funding where stuff is missing across Europe. Like This is something I never understood. Like Why do we not have more of these solidarity mechanisms amongst ourselves, as opposed to debating whether the EU, sh EU should have it, you know? <laughs> Why don't we do them ourselves? Like, there's much possibility to, to do that. But I think it's increasing also now. At the time when I started, <laughs> the, the IO didn't even have um, a list of partners, like of people that ISs had collaborated with and, you know, like a fundraising database, basically. It was not even existent. And I think this has massively changed over the last four years. Like a lot of professionalization has happened in partnerships that now from a central place, we can leverage the power and again, the brand of the network to get deals, right? With big companies that then fund Fora or whatever in different countries. I think we could do more of that and not just top down, like bottom up. Is there something, Nora, that you think should be should be given to the com community. One thing that we we also tried to do, so in a way, the fund was a, was an example of this, right? This this um, thinking of sustainability and and sharing and and longevity, right? Like trying to um, not just do one-off things in different places, but actually, what is the general movement? Like, what is the general strategy and development that we're going for here? Um, and we did quite some, we invested some time in, in knowledge sharing. So we wrote actually an organizing guide um, and a fundraising guide. And I did all kinds of fundraising trainings in different settings to, to try and share what worked for us. Not granted that it will work anywhere, but just, you know, trying to pay it forward in a way. Um, and a sustainability guide as well. Like how, if you want to make your session a bit more sustainable, what, where to start, what can you do, what can you look at? So I think this is something that I that I, I value. You know, we are all volunteers, uh, or we were in this organization. Of course, we have so much to do, and um, I think if we can derive as much joy and and pride from uh, not just the event in itself, right? Not just like this was the session and this happened there and that's it, and you know, but also from the ripple effects over time. So what was I able to contribute to, for example, set a new benchmark for EYP sessions um, in terms of sustainability, in terms of innovation, in terms of taking responsibility, or um, am I going to contribute to the knowledge pool, right? Am I going to invest my time after the session when the sexy work is done <laughs> to write a guide on this or to, you know, maybe share like 
the money we had, we could technically have kept it, you know, for BNC or whatever. But we didn't. Like So, yeah, I just find this kind of an interesting thought to ask in EYP when a lot of the stuff tends to be so focused on singular events. How can I make my biggest contribution to something that goes beyond me, right? That goes beyond the time horizon, maybe even that I'll be involved in, right? So it's my greatest joy and honor if what we created back then out of this random crazy idea has ripple effects for people years after that that weren't even there, that didn't even have a direct contact. I think that's that's definitely something to strive for, I guess, in in life maybe. Also not just in EYP. People will remember how they felt. They will may remember what you stood for, how they felt supported and and inspired. And hopefully this can kind of spread. Because we need this change, right? Not just in sustainability across all topics. And it starts with us. So that was Nora Willem. It's very inspiring to hear about the dimensions of innovation that are available to EYP events, especially when it's this kind of structure where you pull it into smaller pieces and give ownership of those pieces to the people making it happen so that they can breathe more life into the whole session. Yeah, and there is so much of this innovation that happens in EYP, right? And that's a really cool thing that we're going to be doing with the podcast is every two weeks, on released on the Friday, we're going to hear more about sessions, about ideas, about events from EYPers all across. Joel, you're raising a placard that says direct response. <laughs> um, g- go ahead, I guess. Thank you. Yes, indeed. Next episode, which will be released in two weeks on Friday, we will be hearing from Chris Tripp, one of the people who brought direct response into our general assemblies. Joe, Joe, that was not a direct response. I was about to continue mention that just afterwards, but okay, you spoiled that bit, but it's okay. We're going to hear from Chris Tripp and it's going to be a really great session listening to how GA changed for the better. Until then, we'll see you next time. See you next time.